Wow, good to worship with you this morning. Uh, I'm going to change what I was going to do this morning, uh, at least to start. I think I'll end up here. Uh, but I want you to do something with me. I know I've done this recently. I know I've done this before. But I want, to, I want you just to go with me on this, okay? Everybody put your hands out and open. I was in a room in Michigan on Friday for a board meeting. Mostly it was not boring. But we spent some time in prayer, and um, I'll do this fairly often when I'm praying or when I'm singing. You guys see that probably when we're singing, but I'll do this when I'm praying. And we were praying around that table with this board that was meeting to talk about major things in the region. Um, and it was right in the middle of the meeting. We'd already talked about a lot of stuff. We were getting ready to talk a lot about a lot more, and we were praying. And I just, you know, I, I was kind of emotional, and so I, I wiped my eyes, and I looked around, and I, I just kind of glanced around. I didn't really look. I looked around, and, and I had my hands out, but then there were, not everybody, but several other people had their hands out as people were praying. And there was this collective an individual understanding that if we are not discerning the will of God, then we're missing it. And so today's message is, a, is about us stepping away from what we want and what God wants and what other people need. And that's, that's hard sometimes. I know we, don't, we know we're supposed to do it, but it's hard. And so, as we go into this sermon, this message today, would you just be wide open to what God wants to say to you? And my guess is, it might even be different than what I'm saying out loud, and that's okay. Listen to God today. Can we do that? Can you approach him this morning with your heart, your soul, and your body, your hands, open and ready to receive, ready to do whatever God lays in your hands. Amen? All right. Well, I'm glad you're here. So how many of you have heard the Christianese phrase, we are the hands and feet of Jesus? How many of you have, by show of hands, how many of you have heard that phrase? We are, the church is, you and I individually, if you are a follower of Christ, we are the hands and feet of Jesus. What if I were to tell you that there is nowhere in Scripture where that exact phrase exists? <laughs> right? We use that phrase all the time. We are the hands and feet of Jesus. Uh, but, but that phrase in, in, in its exact form is not anywhere in the Bible in Scripture. Now, I'm not saying it's a bad phrase. I think it's a great phrase. I use that phrase all the time personally. So I'm not saying it's a bad one. I'm just saying it's not exactly in Scripture like that. But here's where it is. I think it's taken from a specific verse in the book of 1 Corinthians. The Apostle Paul was describing the church, and this is what he says. 1 Corinthians 12, 27, the Apostle Paul writes, All of you together are Christ's body, and each of you is a part of it. All together, if you are a follower of Christ, you are a part of Christ's body, and you are actually a specific part 
of the body of Christ. You, you have a specific role to play. There are gifts, there are abilities that you have that I don't have. There are things that you are great at that I am terrible at. My guess is you guys have probably seen some of those things. You're like, yeah, <laughs> you have some work to do in some areas. I, I hear you. And the reason that is, is because God created you to be a specific part of the body of Christ. You have a role to play in the church, in the body of Christ, and through the mission of what God is wanting to do in this community, in this world. And we are truly the hands and feet of Jesus. Now, what we're doing today is we're continuing our series that we've been in. You guys know we're in a series called Modnik. And we're basically saying this is God's kingdom, but it's totally backwards. It's totally different than any other kingdom than you've ever known before. And so that's why we're not calling this series Kingdom. We're calling it Modnik, which is Kingdom Backwards. And we've talked about a whole bunch of different things through this series. For example, we started with the letter K, and we talked about the fact that Jesus is our king on a cross. And we asked the question, what kind of king would leave his throne to die on a cross for you and for me? And the answer is, Jesus would. He's our king on a cross. And why did he do it? Well, it's the next thing. Because in God's kingdom, it's very different than any other kingdom. In God's kingdom, he invites every person to be a part of his kingdom. Everybody's invited. Not everybody accepts. Not everybody wants to live like God calls us to live. But everybody is invited. Everybody's given that opportunity. And then we talked about the letter N. That in God's kingdom, it's not about us. It's not about me. It's not about you. It's about God. And what's really cool is God loves you so much, he makes his kingdom about you, but it can't start with you. It has to start with God. And then we talked about generosity. It feels like generosity should be right today, right? The mode that we've already been going and leaning. And you'll see that it ties very closely with generosity today. But generosity is a part of God's kingdom. And then last week, we talked about the letter D, which this was kind of a different thing and weird, probably a phrase that you've never heard, but instead of in normal kingdoms where you ascend the ladder, you climb the ladder to greatness, in God's kingdom, you descend into greatness. You descend into greatness. And so today, we're obviously on the letter O. We've got two weeks left in this series. And today is all about, in God's kingdom, he calls us, he commands us. It is not a, a suggestion or a choice in this matter, if you're part of God's kingdom. God wants us always to realize that we have to put others first. Others have to be first, ahead of us. Others have to be in front of us. In fact, uh, Philippians 2, 3 through 4, tells us this very, very clearly. You guys know I quote this quite often, this passage, this verse. This is what the Apostle Paul writes. He writes, don't be selfish. Don't try to impress others. Be humble. Thinking of others as better than yourselves. Don't look out only for your own interests, but take an interest in others too. Now, I don't know, maybe some of you are sitting here and you read that, that verse and you realize that that verse is saying we have to put other people first. Other people have to come before us. We have to set ourselves, our agenda aside and allow other people to kind of take priority. And your question might be, and this would be a good question because this is a question I have, why? 
right? Why? Why do I have to put other people first? You might be asking, it was like, I don't want to. Or you might be asking, why is it important? Well, there's a couple of different reasons. One, and I think we recognize this reason, when you put other people first, then you help other people, right? Then it, then it helps them. If, if you give them money to buy something that they couldn't buy themselves, that helps them. If you go over and you help, maybe you're good at mechanics and you, fix, uh, you can fix their car for them. And so you go over there and you, you spend, you know, half of a Saturday fixing, you know, something in their vehicle because you know they can't do it. Just so you know, I'm not the guy that you call when there's mechanical problems. You will have, let me tell you this, your car will not only be still broken, it'll be worse when I'm done. Almost guaranteed. That's not, that's not me. That's not part of the body of Christ that I'm going to be helpful in, right? But, but we have to understand that, that when we help others, it's helping others. But there's another reason. When we help others, did you know that it helps you? Did you know that it's really, really healthy for you? So I cited uh, a gal named Dr. Twinge who did a study. Uh, I cited her last year, the study that she did, and she found that in my generation and all the younger generations, all the generations kind of after me, uh, so my generation was included in this, uh, the study found by our own admission, she just asked people how they felt about the world and life and all kind of stuff, and you know what she found? She found that in the last 10 years, we've lost almost completely positivity, self-esteem, and hope. Not by her observation, but by asking those direct questions that led to those answers. She said, those things are almost gone in the current generations. By their own admission, like they're telling her this. And the reason I bring that up is because she also wrote a book about this where she kind of fills in some gaps as what she thinks, and it's called Generation Me. And in this book, she basically says self-esteem, positivity, all that kind of stuff. There's a lot more freedom than they've ever had before, but they're more anxious, more sad, less hope. It's just like there's more freedom, and it seems like it should give more happiness and joy and all that kind of stuff, and yet there's way less. And, and the question is Why? Well, I think the reason is because we have missed this other's first mentality. In fact, I want to quote something that she says in the book. Listen to what she says. She says, our growing tendency to put the self first leads to unparalleled freedom, but it also creates an enormous amount of pressure on us to stand alone. This is the downside of the focus on the self. When we are fiercely independent and self-sufficient, our disappointments loom large because we have nothing else to focus on. That's kind of heavy. It's not light reading for this book. That's a heavy statement right there. And basically what she is trying to say is, when we put ourselves first in order to build ourselves up, we accomplish exactly the opposite of that. We feel worse. I can tell you why. Because God created human beings to give ourselves away, to serve like He serves. God sacrifices generosity 
He wants us to sacrifice to be generous as well. He wants us to sacrifice and give and put others first. And so the question really is not whether or not we have to put others first. I would love to spend the rest of the time convincing everybody in the room that we have to put other people first. But I'm going to move on. Some of you are like, no, no, I still need to be convinced. Okay, well, that's great. I hope you'll just come along with us anyway. But I'm going to move on because what I want to do is I want to spend the next few minutes answering the question, if we truly are the hands and feet of Jesus, and if God truly wants us to put other people first, then the question becomes, how? How do we do it? What should it look like as followers of Christ, as Christians, how should we put other people's first? How how should we serve other people? Well, if we are the hands and feet of Jesus, and Jesus is our example, then my answer to how we love people, how we put other people first, is let's do what Jesus did. Right? I know you're not sitting there going, wow, it took you the whole week to come up with that one? (laughs) Our pastor's amazing. No, it's not mind-blowing. It's really simple. If we are called to put other people first, then we simply, I think, all we have to do is do what Jesus did. And the question then becomes, right away, you're probably asking this, well, what did Jesus do? How did Jesus put other people first? Well, he did it in a very, now this is a very simplified version of this, of what he did, I know. Some of you are gonna be like, well, that was pretty simple. I know, it's very simple. There's a lot of layers to this. But very simply, you know what Jesus did? Jesus loved. He loved people. I mean, radically loved them. Whether he was giving them brutal truth Even when he was calling the Pharisees out, you understand that he loved them. When he was being an example of how he was acting toward a person, the unlovable, the woman at the well, the woman caught in adultery, disciples who didn't seem like they could tie their own sandals, and he chose 12 of them to join him and be in his inner circle. And I'm going to pour and I'm going to invest into you. And Jesus loved the unlovable. He loved everybody. Jesus loved. And so my suggestion today is how do we put other people first? I think we just need to love them. I think we just need to love them. Now, here's the thing. I don't know that we know what that should look like. And so today, for the last few minutes, I want to spend some time talking about what does it look like to love people? How do we love people? Well, you guys, in fact, just, just curious, I didn't, uh, again, sometimes I get off my notes, showing of hands, how many of you have heard of Gary Chapman's Five Love Languages book? Anybody in here heard of that? Okay. All right. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, As soon as I see the cover and it's got like love flowing in like script language and it's purple and pink and all kinds of stuff. And I'm like, oh, I do not want to read that book. I'm just being honest. I'm a kind of a typical guy that way. And uh, but when you get into the book, you start realizing this is pretty genius. And basically, if you don't know the book, basically what he says is every human being has five 
different possible love languages, five things that make sense to them in how they like to love other people and how they like to also be loved. These are the five things, words of affirmation, quality time, gifts, acts of service, and physical touch. These are the five love languages, according to Dr. Gary Chapman. Okay? Whether or not he's right, we can debate that all day long, but these are what he lays out. So what do I want to do? I want to walk through those five things, and I want to suggest this to make this really simple today. I think that we could take those five love languages and love people with those, through those, on a daily basis, and people would experience the love of Jesus if we would simply live those out toward other people. Let's talk about it. So the first one is words of affirmation. I don't know about you, but one of the most powerful things you can do for a person is to encourage them with your words. Right? How many of you can think of a time, just just pause for a moment, I want you to think of a time when somebody encouraged you or gave you affirming words that you maybe didn't, weren't sure that they believed or, or it was something that you'd never heard before and they said, you are so good at this. Do you know how good you are at this? And how did that make you feel? Maybe it even changed your life. Words are powerful, aren't they? But what I find is for me, and I see this in other people, a lot of times we hold back our words. You think of something about your children, you're like, oh man, that is beautiful. I can't believe my child did that, but you never say that to them. Why would you withhold that? But we do, don't we? When you see somebody else doing something amazing, maybe it's a somebody in your family, maybe it's somebody in your neighborhood, maybe it's even a coworker, where, where a coworker does something selfless for somebody else, and you notice that, and you see, and you think, wow, that was really nice, that was really amazing, but you never tell them that? Why would you withhold that from them? How powerful can affirming words be? But the truth is that often we hold them in. Why? Because we feel awkward about sharing it. Or, or how many of you have done this? Let me, let me call this out. Oh, yeah. Woo-hoo. How many of you withhold really great, encouraging truth from somebody because you know if you start sharing that with them, you're going to start crying, and you don't want to start crying in front of them. And so you're like, eh just rather not. Really? You're going to withhold life-giving words from them because you don't want to cry in front of them? Do you know how many times as a guy I've cried in front of people? Oh my goodness, it's too many. Do I like it? Absolutely not. I'm a typical guy. I hate it but I force myself to do it because I know it's right. I know it's real. Don't withhold words of affirmation. Jesus actually exemplifies this. So one day Jesus asked this really hard question to his disciples and he says, who do you say I am? Who do you think I am? And nobody wanted to answer. None of the disciples wanted to answer until finally Peter steps up and gets the the gumption, the courage to say something. He says, you are the Messiah. You are the son of God, which was the right answer. 
And then I want to read for you what Jesus says to Peter in front of everybody in that moment. Matthew 16, 18. Jesus says, now I say to you that you are Peter, which means rock. And upon this rock I will build my church and all the powers of hell will not conquer it. Do you think Peter walked differently after those words? You better believe he did. Remember that your words can give life or squash it. Which one are you doing with your words these days? Are you giving life or are you squashing it? My suggestion is God wants you to give life with your words. All right, let's go to the next one, quality time. I don't know about you, but maybe the most valuable thing you can give by, to put other people first and to love people is to give them your time. Why? Because I don't know about you, but I think our most valuable asset that we have is time. Our most valuable thing that we have, commodity that we have, is time. And so giving of our time is one of the most important things that we have to give. And here's something that I've never heard. You guys know I've dug into this before, but I've never heard from somebody, I wish my parents worked more hours when I was growing up. I've never heard that. I've never heard, I wish my parents had made twice the income that they made. Now, I, I wish that they had bought uh, twice the size of house that we had. I just wish they had. I'm not saying that nobody's ever said that. I'm just saying I've never heard that. But you know what I have heard? I've heard this many times. I wish I had spent more time with him. I wish I had spent more time with her. I wish my parents had spent more time with me. I've heard that all the time. You know why? Because time communicates value and experience and love. And before I move on to the next one, let me just say this. If you don't think you have time, you're lying to yourself and you're being lied to. Let me be really clear. You have time. It might mean, this is, this is going to sound crazy, it might mean that you have to quit your job and get a different one so that you actually have time for the things that really do matter. Th that might be what it means. It might mean that you have to go to your boss, him or her or whoever the powers that be, and have a conversation because you're expected to work 70 hours a week. But you don't have time for another single person that matters. If people at work see you more than your family do, I'm just saying, I would say that's not a good thing. I know we're digging in here, guys, but quality time, where are we putting it? Our time should be spent on the things that are going to last forever, the things that are going to matter the most. And you know what that is? One of those things? People. People matter the most. People are going to last forever in eternity. That's where our time needs to be spent. Now understand, I'm not saying you quit your job and buy a van and travel around with your family and be like, I don't know, 
Pastor Ben said I had to give up my job. So we're just going to go live in California on the beach. We're going to hang our clothes in the windows. And we're going to ride the waves or something, tell people about Jesus. Amen. I'm not, that's not what I'm saying. You have to work. We have to make an income. I get that. I'm just saying if you lose your soul in the process of chasing money, then I'm telling you, you're going to get to the end of your life and you're going to realize you messed it up. I'm just, you will. You're going to regret it. Quality time with people is so, so important. All right. I could spend a whole sermon on every one of these gifts. Let's talk about gifts. Gifts are the tangible things. These are the things, money, possessions, physical things that you could give. Now, understand this doesn't have to be big. It could be as simple as bringing some, your coworker's favorite candy bar to them when you arrive at work to eat at lunch. Simple, easy, costs you 50 cents or 70 cents, depending if they like the supersize or not, right? A dollar maybe, right? It, it, it doesn't have to be pay for somebody behind you. This is not a novel idea. Pay for somebody behind you in line. How much of an impact will that make? Huge. You know what they might do? They might do it the same thing for the person behind them. And you've heard those stories, haven't you? Why? Because it's contagious. When we put other people first, other people realize, hey, I want to put other people first too. Man, that made me feel so good. That's amazing. I'm going to do it for somebody else. It doesn't have to be a big deal. Maybe bring donuts to work in the morning. And then a treadmill too after that. <laughs> be a blessing for both things. How can you tangibly demonstrate your love and compassion for somebody? All right, four. Acts of service. This is when we do something for somebody. Uh, I, don't, I don't need you to raise your hands, but any of you that are in here that are handy right? You're, you're good at building things, fixing things, mechanical things. I already admitted I'm not. Uh, but if you're in here, how could you use that to help other people, to do it for free for somebody that desperately needs it? Again, that's not something that I'm going to offer somebody because I am going to do way more damage than good. They're going to be like, that is not square or going to stand. And I'm like, I know, I'm sorry, I'm trying. But some of you can do this in your sleep. You're so good at it. Uh, maybe you're good at writing. Uh, the, you know that there are a ton of students in our school system that struggle with English language arts and punctuation, all kind of stuff. They, they hate it <laughs> and, and they struggle with it. What if you use some of your time to help them with that? Maybe there are people that they need to get a job, and, but they're not only, they don't even know how to print a resume, let alone write one. What if you just... What if you donated some of your time to help people write a resume? I want to keep every connection. I'm, I'm guessing could use something like that. What are, let me just ask you this before I move on. What are you good at? What do you love to do? Think about that. What are you really good at? You know, you already know this. There's one, two, three things that you're really good at. You know you're good at it. And you love to do it. How can you use that to serve other people? love people, to put other people first. All right, last one. Physical touch. Now, I get it. This one is almost like squirm, squirm factor in our culture, right? Because of Me Too movement and all that stuff. Let, 
Will Smith slapping Chris Rock on live TV, like physical touch, all of a sudden we kind of get like, mm, no, we need to be careful with that. Okay, can I, I'll just get it, let me get it out of the way and then we can actually talk about what we're talking about. Yeah, if there's physical touch that's inappropriate or any other reason that is not pure and right and good and godly and holy, don't do it. Are we good now? Seriously. But I want to now say the other side of the coin, physical touch is absolutely necessary for human beings. Studies and studies and studies have been done on babies and infants and toddlers and the ones that don't get the physical skin-to-skin -skin contact early on, it affects brain growth and brain function. It's pretty clear and obvious. Why? Because God created us to need one another, even physical touch. Um, you guys would know this, uh, but I pray for people all the time. Um, and I'll talk to people about a lot of serious stuff, and, and nine times out of ten, usually we have an opportunity where I can pray with them and pray for them. And one thing that I do, and it's not a tactic or a strategy or anything like that, but I just do it because it's, it makes sense to me. But, you know, I always ask and make sure this is okay, but I'll, right before I pray, usually I put a hand on their shoulder or on their arm. Sometimes they'll actually ask to hold a hand, and that's, that's fine. Um, but I'll just, you know, I'll just place my hand on their shoulder or their arm. And you know what I see about at least 50% of the time? Before I ever start a word of prayer, they start crying when I touch them. You know why I think that is? I think it is an obvious and powerful communication that I'm here with you. I'm here with you. I'm not just saying some words. I'm here with you. Physical touch matters. Just letting somebody, a coworker, even know, hey, I'm here if you ever need. A neighbor, a friend, a family member. Hey, I know that this, this year has been tough. I just want you to know, it means something different when you just tap them on the shoulder or let them know, I'm here. How can we use that to put other people first, to love them? So I want to end by showing you a video. We're actually going to do two videos at the end of the service today. One as part of the message, and then our final song is actually going to be not with the worship team, but with a video. I'll tell you that in a second. So this video uh, is of a guy named Michael Jr., uh, if you know Michael Jr., Michael Jr. is a comedian, a Christian comedian, so he's very clean, very funny, hilarious guy. And he does comedy shows all over, all over the, the country, but all over the world as well. And uh, Michael Jr., he was doing one of these shows, and he met this family called the Richardsons, the Richardson family. And I want to give you a little bit of context for the Richardson family before we show you this video. So he met the Richardson family. The Richardson family have five biological kids, okay? And then after they had five biological kids, they adopted two teenagers into their family. Do the math. You're, you're into pretty crazy range already. 
And then social services contacted the Richardsons because they're amazing and faithful followers of Christ and all kind of stuff. But, but they contacted them and said, hey, we have five young kids, I think all under the age of seven, ten, something like that. They were young kids. All five from the same family. They were all siblings. And we need a place <clears throat> for them to go just for a little while, foster care kind of style. So not forever, but foster care. And, um, and so they brought them into their home and said, yeah, sure, we can take care of them for a while. And then as it turned out, they were going to have to take these five kids, these siblings from the same family, and split them up into different homes. And of course, the kids' anxiety went through the roof because they were going to be separated from their brothers and sisters. And the Richardsons couldn't handle that. And so you know what they did? They adopted all five kids on top of the other seven that they already had. Kid you not, Michael Jr. met them after all this, and he found out that this family had two vehicles. One of them had recently been stolen from them. And so Michael Jr. found out that this family, what they would do when they had to go to places, games, soccer games, all that kind of stuff, is they would take half of the family and they would take them with the one vehicle they had and they'd drop them off and then somebody would go back and pick up the rest of the family and bring them there and then they would do the same thing in reverse. Everywhere they went, double trip every time because they couldn't fit everybody in the one vehicle because the one had been stolen. And so Michael Jr. said, I, I have to do something about this. And so he came up with this idea. He said, I'm going to sell tickets. I'm going to start selling tickets to raise money for a vehicle for the Richardson family. Again, this is unbeknownst to the Richardson family. They did not have a clue that this was happening. Michael Jr. just took this on himself. He felt God was calling him to do this. And so he starts, he creates this show called the No Show Comedy Show. Literally, he was not going to have a show. There was no show. And he sold tickets to people telling them, this is why I'm doing this. There's this Richardson family. This is the story. And so I'm selling tickets to a show that does not exist. The no-show comedy show. If you know Michael Jr., this totally makes sense. And, and so he, the, literally the tickets were like no-show comedy show. And on the back it said, understand that there is no show. You are buying a ticket to no show. Right? And he said people came out of the woodwork, people bought these tickets like crazy, and before you knew it, hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of people have bought tickets, and he was able to, to pool enough money together to buy a brand new vehicle. And so Michael Jr. was praying about what vehicle should I get them, and God brought to his mind, for some reason, he thought this was pretty strange, a Nissan NV, which I had never heard about. But this is what's really cool. So Michael Jr. was in the Richardson home. He had never been there before. Uh, after all of these decisions had been made and the kind of figuring all this stuff out, and he was in the kitchen and he looked at the refrigerator and he saw a picture that had been put up there long before he ever made this decision. And I think we have a picture of it. Let's show the picture of that. This was on the refrigerator. Look, it says, God is awesome. This is our car. Look what's on there. They'd been praying for a Nissan NV for a long time. Michael Jr. had never seen this. Isn't that crazy? God synced this up. Now, here's what's cool. The video that I'm about to show you is when Michael Jr. goes over to the Richardson house and reveals to them that he has sold tickets to this no comedy show and they have purchased a new Nissan Envy 
for this amazing family who always put other people first. And I want you to notice, Michael Jr., in this video, he exhibits all five love languages in just this short four-minute video. Take a look. So we all go to their house. They're all piled in to watch the video. But what we really want to do is watch them watch the video. Because in the midst of this, I'm going to sneak out, go outside, interrupt the video, and it's going to be me in front of their house introducing them to their brand new Nissan MV. Check it. I know you're in there sitting on the couch wondering if this is actually a real live video. Well, it is. And the reason I'm in front of your house right now is because I would love it if you and your whole crew and everybody else would simply just come outside so you could see your brand new Nissan MV. part is your payments are only $400 a month. So no, <laughs> no it's completely paid for, 100%. No, no, no. This isn't a Michael Jr. thing. This is about a family and people y'all never met before heard y'all's story. We decided to do a comedy show fundraiser, but there actually wasn't a show. So people all over the country, my fans, different places, got together and bought tickets to a show that don't even exist. See how bad it is. I don't know how to repay anybody for doing something for me like that. Now you're in a position where you just need to receive it. I receive it. I receive it. That, my friends, is what it's about.
We are not here to consume. We are here to give. And you know what I get really excited about? Is that Northridge, we seek to do this a lot. We really do. You guys, when I say Northridge, I don't mean as an organization. I mean you guys do this. And so I want to uh, pray, but in a moment I want to show you a video that's a completely different energy level than that one. It's an upbeat, it's a fun one, but it is actually a video that was created, that was made with Northridgers, showing signs, showing things that they are either involved in or helped with or are involved with other people with. We have people that adopt. We have people that are fostering. We have people that are involved in Compassion International. We have people that have gone out and love. We can hand it out gift cards and do all that kind of stuff. We haven't given an in, a Nissan NV away yet. I look forward to the day. Why? Because we have to put other people first. So I'm going to pray. And then we're going to enjoy this video, this, this song that simply comes from Matthew West called Do Something. I think you, you get the message, right? <laughs> Do something. And Northridge families, people from Northridge, are going to show you what this looked like in a really, really fun way. So God, Lord Jesus, we pray that every gift and every ability, every talent, every skill that you've given every person in this room, we could leave this place and dramatically, just with the people here, just the people in the building right now who have gathered for Northridge right now, just this service, we got another service coming, but just the people in this building, in this place, we could go out and we could dramatically change the lives of everybody around us if we simply give ourselves away. If we simply put other people first, if we simply love them in the same way you love us, Jesus. But we get stuck, we get wrapped up in the things that we have to chase and the stuff that we have to do. God, help us to remember that the most important thing in this life is you and the example that you've given to us to give ourselves away in the same way that you gave yourself away to us. Help us to put other people first. Help us to love people so that they can be completely challenged and renewed and moved, just like we saw in that video from Michael Jr. and the Richardson family. God, help us to change lives. The way we're going to do it is to love people like you've loved us. Move us, challenge us, break us out of our apathy. Help us to use words to give life, not squash it. Help us to use gifts to encourage and honor people. Help us to use our gifts and our skills and abilities to serve people. Help us to use physical touch not in inappropriate or evil ways like the rest of the world seems to want to do. Help us to use it to communicate. I'm here for you. If you need anything, I'm here for you. I know you exist. You have value. I love you. We're good. God, help us very simply 
to do something. And as we watch this video of Northridge people, your church, God, this is your church. It's not my church. It's not anybody else's church. This is your church. It's your church doing exactly what they're supposed to do. All these things, all the words on this card that we're about to see. God, help us to do more of it all the time as we watch this video. We pray this and ask this in your name, Jesus. Amen.